So spies. Spies, spies, spies. I'm so excited for this episode. I'm like, I do really like my story, but I, full disclosure, it is not my favorite story that I've ever done. But the concept of spies, I love spy movies because it's like the amount of thriller I need and like the action. And for spying, there's some horror tidbit that it's like a good, good balance for my brain, my heart, and my nervous system to handle. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Hey Lexi, what's your best spy asset? My best spy asset is my boobs. They're like a free pass into any place I want to go. And Haley, what's your spy name and why is it Sprinkle Bear McPuss in Boots? It's actually not Sprinkle Bear McPuss in Boots. It is attached to the flower that will be like my code word for danger. And I will only use... And I'm Alana. And hey, Spy Museum, read my application. (laughs) Spies are just so cool. I know we were talking about this before the cut, you know, before the intro. But I just... I love it as an as like as a concept, you know. Did you guys watch Totally Spies? Yes, of course. I feel like we have to talk about Totally Spies, Lady Spies. We love it. Uh huh. I think about that. Like, I think this is Totally Spies, but like that laser mirror thing where they like. Do you know what I'm? T- I'm just yes. like I yes, think exactly. about that like three or four times a week. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, because I always thought the Powerpuff Girls were spies. Do the Powerpuff Girls count as spies? Does Kim Possible count as a spy? I that that know. was my follow up. I love Kim Possible. I can see I loved the Powerpuff Kim Girls being like not spies but superheroes because they kind of have like a bat yeah. signal type thing. But I think Kim Possible was a spy. Like she was sent out on missions. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's what a spy be. My sister was also obsessed with Kim Possible. She doesn't listen to the show, but my mom does. And so my mom will recall that when my sister was five years old, we just lived with Kim Possible because my sister had all of the Kim Possible swag you could possibly have. Ooh, that was also when Disney just did a great job of their promotional, like, merch. Like, also, uh, High School Musical was kind of at a time of an overlap with Kim Possible. They had great merch. Camp Rock had great merch. Um, Perry the Platypus merch was also. Oh, Perry the Platypus. Lilo and Stitch. Let's talk I about. Definitely had Perry the Platypus is not a lady. Or or is Perry the Platypus a lady? Anyways, Never confirmed. Is Perry don't know. gendered? I don't think. I don't know. I follow I feel like the they used voice. He, him pronouns, but like, I follow the voice on Perry the Platypus on TikTok, and I believe um, he did like kind of run the voice of it. Perry the Platypus is on. Yeah. Oh no, Doofenshmirtz. Doofenshmirtz. But he does like Perry the Plat. Like he talks a lot about Perry the Platypus and kind of like does Perry the Platypus stuff. 
mine is pretty quick today because as with what happens with many spies, um, we don't know a lot because tis a secret. Pearl Worthington was born on June 24th, 1914. Her parents were British, but she was born in France. And in her teen years, she taught English and did other odd jobs to support her family. As a young adult, she was engaged to a French man and worked at the British Embassy in France. In 1940, her family escaped the German invasion of France and fled back to England. Refusing to be idle during the war, Pearl joined the Women's Auxiliary Air Force, which we talked about in the past on the show. In fact, in our very first episode ever, we talked about how Jackie Cochran went to see this auxiliary force and was like, this is a good idea and created the wasps. So if you want to hear about that, go back to the first episode. And I apologize for how much of a hot mess it is. We've learned a lot since then. In June 1943, Pearl was recruited for the Special Operations Executive, called the SOE for short. The SOE's role was to conduct espionage and sabotage for the British Empire um, during World War II. Pearl was a perfect fit for this SOE and was praised for being a quick learner and a brave woman. After just four months of training, she was ready to be sent on her first mission. Pearl parachuted into occupied France and dropped both of her suitcases into a lake and therefore had none of her supplies with her, but that's okay. She arrived and she reconnected with her fiance and began communicating with the French resistance, which was her primary directive. Captain has feelings about that, apparently. Pearl hid her identity by disguising herself as a traveling cosmetic saleswoman named Marie. She worked as a courier, transporting sensitive materials in her cosmetics briefcase. In May 1944, Pearl became the leader of her own network called the Wrestler Network. I don't know why it was called that. In this role, she went by the codename Pauline, shout out to my freshman dorm roommate, Pauline and led a group of around 3,500 French resistance fighters. She launched guerrilla-style attacks on German forces, and she oversaw the surrender of 18,000 German troops. The Nazis put out a bounty on her for 1 million francs. That's how effective she was at stopping Nazis. They were that scared of her. When World War II ended, Pearl married her fiancé and was nominated for the prestigious award of Britain's Military Cross. But she was denied this award because she blank. Anyone want to take a guess? Famal. Yes, she was a woman, and women can earn that award. Common theme here on the show. Women can't be Britain Military Cross. She was instead offered the title of member of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, or MBE, just like April Ashley, who we talked about a few weeks ago, right? Wasn't April Ashley an MBE? Um, Pearl refused this offer because it was a civilian award, and she said, quote, there was nothing remotely civil about what I did. I didn't sit behind a desk all day. I do consider it to be most unjust to give a civilian decoration. Our training, which we did with the men, was purely military. And as women, we are expected to replace them in the field, unquote. Snaps to that. We love to see it. After the war, Pearl worked at the World Bank in Paris. And in 2004, she was made a commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire, CBE, which is the military equivalent of an MBE. That's it. That's her story. Very short. Military personnel, 
and civilian employees must not discuss military instructions, plans, operations, movements, composition, or the location of troops, casualties, morale, equipment, or supply, results of sabotage or of air action or of gunfire. A content warning for this next episode, I'll be talking about the Nazi party and about genocide and a little bit more about Holocaust history, but we should all be learning about Holocaust history, in my opinion. In full disclosure, I picked the next gal, Vera Atkins, because of the movie that recently came out called A Call to Spy, which follows the story of Vera and two other spies. They have different names. And uh, Stanya Kotick, who was like the star in Castle, plays the person who's supposed to be Vera. It's on Amazon, I think, Amazon Premium. So I really want to watch it. Um, And now it could be like a Patreon content. Anywho, and by doing some reading, it seems like the movie was also directed and written by women, a lady, ladies all around. So that's um, a big yay. Born in a Jewish family, Vera Maria Rosenberg. She grew up in Romania and studied in both London and Paris. And with that education system in mind, she learned a lot of languages, which will come back in the near future of this story. So during those formative years, she learned a lot and was able to be exposed to the cosmopolitan society, one specifically where she's able to get close to anti-Nazi German ambassador Friedrich Werner von der Schlurkenberg. Mouthful of a name. Skipping through some years, uh, the late 30s and early 40s is where we're at. Um, But keep in mind, she now knows how to speak multiple languages and has already had some previous contacts from how she grew up in like a very affluent area with her parents kind of exposing her to uh, just anti-Semitism. That's a big no-no, which good should be the real thing, but also just city life and the point of making connections with people. Vera is now in Great Britain because of the growing anti-Semitism in Romania. And I believe this was after her mother passed away. Um, She did stay in Romania for longer to be with her mother and other family. She joined the French section of the SOE, the Special Operations Executive, in 1941 and continued to work as a civilian until August 1944, when she was appointed as a flight officer in the Women's Auxiliary Air Force, WAAF. And around this time, too, she was in charge of like 37 or other SOE female agents who worked in various sectors and circuits, which made her like the quote housekeeper in some senses. And that term is also used for a person who kind of like make sure missions goes smoothly and such. Um, if they leave mission, it's all like tidy. All the reports are tidy, wrapped up in a neat little bow, the housekeeper. So specifically on spy work, as the main assistant to the director of the SOE, she was the coordinator for a network of around approximately 500 spies that were stationed across Nazi-occupied France. She kept them briefed on life, helped create elaborate cover stories and fake identities, and then communicated with their families, assuring them that their loved ones were safe and such. 
About 118 of those agents never returned. A few were killed in action, but most were arrested by Germans, which either meant interrogation centers or concentration camps. One of those people was Violet Sabsbo, and I don't think I'm pronouncing that name correctly, so I apologize, who was shot. Vera felt very responsible towards what happened to Violet and others. She even traveled to Germany after the war to investigate. She managed to trace all but one of those stories and gathered evidence along the way, evidence that helped bring those murderers to court for war crimes. And she stayed, I know a lot is like freaking out or all freaking out. She was awesome. And she even stated, quote, I could not just abandon their memory. So before retirement, Vera worked for UNESCO's Center Bureau for Educational Visits and Exchanges. So also kind of in love with her for that. UNESCO is like the World Heritage Center, takes care of big monuments and museum like such. So like Lady History is a fan. And lastly, there's another musical in like a Canadian theater, like parentheses, the article that came out in February 2020s, right before the whole world did a whoopsie poopsie, called the Invisible Agents of Ungentlemanly Warfare. And it's the story of six allied agents in France and other such World War II missions. And of course, Vera Atkins is the inspiration for one of the characters. And Vera was also the inspiration for Miss Moneypenny, the secretary to James Bond's boss. So snaps all around for her inspiration. So correction to the first like movie, the movie was actually about her and two other spies. The musical was like had her as like a portrayal or inspiration. So now I'm really interested in the movie because movies about like three other women spy in World War II. And that's Vera Atkins. This lady spy might not have been a spy at all. Just a heads up that there is so much conflicting information about this woman, but I am going to do my best to talk about every aspect and give all the conflicting stories to the best of my ability, but holy shit, there is so much here and I only have so much time. There are actually a lot of parallels with my story on Josephine Baker from two weeks ago, uh, and some of my Josephine notes actually called her the, Mat the Matahari of World War II. Uh, so, Margaretha Zell was born in 1876. Some of my sources said August 7th, 1876, which would make her a Leo. Uh, and she was born in the Netherlands to a hat merchant who went bankrupt and his Javanese wife who died when Margaretha was a teenager. And when Margaretha was 18, she married an officer in the Dutch army named Rudolf John Mecliad, who was an entire 20 years older than her and moved with him to what was then called the Dutch East Indies, but is now Java, Indonesia area. They had two children, a daughter and a son, and the son is our first cuckoo bananas conflicting story. The fact is, the son died young. My sources have varying theories about this, ranging from mysterious circumstances, to poisoned by a maid, to syphilis. It is possible that his father gave his mother syphilis, and so then he had it, and that's how he died, uh, so that's wild. The Zell MacLeod marriage was a flaming poo poo dumpster fire. Uh, they both cheated on each other and it was physically abusive and all around bad news. The couple separated and eventually divorced, with Rudolph getting custody of their daughter. 
Although the story behind that also has a bunch of different versions. Like, did Rudolph take the daughter? Did he leave the daughter with Margretha, but refused to pay alimony? So they were basically destitute, and Margretha had to leave the daughter with Rudolph. Uh, in any case, Margretha moved to Paris single and daughterless in 1905. In Paris, uh, Margretha became Matahari, an exotic Indonesian dancer whose name meant Eye of the Dawn or Eye of the Day. And this revolutionized Paris because this dancing was overtly sexual. Mata was absolutely stripping, which we do love for her. Sex work is real valid work. Uh, but this dancing was not subject to the same taboo that other sex work was because this dancing was exotic. It was international. And therefore, it was highbrow and educational, which is something else to unpack entirely. But the important thing here is that Matahari knew that her sexuality and her looks would be her ticket in life. Because she was so famous for this dancing, lots of wealthy men would have sex with her for money in the form of expensive gift. Um, not like overtly, we'll give you money to have sex with us, but like, ooh, you had sex with us, so here, have this fancy gift. Did she give a lot of them syphilis? Maybe. 1914 saw the outbreak of World War I, and because her dancing was renowned throughout the cultural capitals of Europe, Matahari had wealthy and high-ranking and influential lovers in both the French and German militaries. Quick side note, uh, it is not uncomfy that Matahari had affairs with German officers because this is World War I and the Germans aren't Nazis in this one. That's World War II, Nazi boogaloo. This led Matahari to being accused of being a spy. Uh, she was arrested by the French military in February of 1917 and on July 25th, 1917, she was found guilty of espionage and charged with the death of 50,000 French soldiers. Now, was she a spy? Probably not. But the war was going badly for the French, and here was this well-known foreigner who was living it up while ordinary French people were starving and poverty-stricken, and so the French made her a scapegoat. And on October 15, 1917, at the age of 41, Matahari was executed by firing squad. She refused a blindfold, and legend has it that she winked or blew a kiss to her executioners, but that's probably not true. Uh, in further learning, there's a pretty graphic description of the execution if you want to read that, but I can't say I recommend it. Uh, but it is there. find this podcast on twitter tiktok and instagram at lady history pod our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on ladyhistorypod.com if you like the show leave us a review or follow us on patreon and if you don't like the show keep it to yourself our logo is by alexia abara you can find her on twitter and instagram at lexi b draws our theme music is by me garage band and amelia Earhart. Haley is doing the editing again you will not see us and we will not see you but you will hear us next time on Lady History. week on Lady History, we're revisiting our first episode, The Pilots Pilots, 
with some jazzed up editing by Lexi. Frankel Bear McPuss and Boots is timeless and yeah. it is a cultural institution. I'm going to need a thesis Absolutely. on why that is. 